afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack, and I got Luke Smith alongside me as always. Well, virtually alongside me. We're actually like 2,000 miles away from each other because I'm in Los Angeles and Luke is in Chicago. But we're back and we're excited because the 2021 college football season is right around the corner. And today we're doing a full-fledged season preview for Notre Dame. Um, Now that the Irish are unofficially done with the training camp portion of the preseason and have started to shift their focus to game planning for the opener against Florida State, the depth chart for week one looks pretty much set. So we're going to do a deep dive into this year's roster and hand out some preseason awards in the process. Um, Then we're going to run through the entire schedule and give some thoughts on each opponent. And we'll close with our official record predictions. Uh, One quick note I wanted to add, too, before we get going here is we ask that you please subscribe, rate, and review. If you haven't already, normally we don't talk about this, but um, the past couple months our audience has definitely grown, and we want to continue building on that throughout the season, but we need your help, honestly. And we really appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen to us, and especially those who have decided to keep coming back. Even if uh, we're not sure why. (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, thank you guys for the support. And if you help spread the word, we promise to return the favor uh, by working hard and making this the best show possible. All right. Now, Luke, please fill us in on the big news that has come out since our last episode. Uh, Yes. So we'll call it big news. Um, However, I'm not sure any of it's really all that surprising. So since we last released an episode, Jack Cohn was named the starting quarterback. We still have Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner competing for. QB2. Um, it seems like Pine has kind of settled himself into QB2 and Buckner 3, which I don't think should be surprising nor discouraging if you're on the Buckner hype train. I think he's still going to have a hell of a career, but that's kind of where we are there. Uh, and also, we announced the team captains, which there was a bit of a delay to that. I think it was likely because, unfortunately, uh, our captain, Myron Tagovailoa Mosa, had his father pass away unexpectedly, so we had to go back to Hawaii, and our, our thoughts are with him. But he is one of the captains and alongside on the defensive side of the ball, Kurt Heinisch uh, and Drew White and Kyle Hamilton. And then on the off- offensive side of the ball, we have Kyron Williams, Jared Patterson, Avery Davis, and Kyle Hamilton. Uh, there was a lot of speculation. This is too many captains. Uh, I don't have an answer to that. Um, I know that was a big uh, topic of conversation in our Instagram <laughs> comments. Uh, but, hey, we had seven captains in 2017, including a guy that wasn't even on the team, uh, Deshaun Kaiser. And uh, Austin Webster. Uh, But then we also had seven captains in 2019. And then last year we had five captains. So I think this captaincy is a little bit interesting because each player is a captain for the first time. And if you honestly think about it, uh, they probably played the most football of any captains that Notre Dame's ever had. You have three fifth-year guys as captains. So that's a lot of football amongst the roster. But no real surprises there. And um, excited to see what leadership they bring to the team. 
Yeah, the quarterback announcement was a little bit odd because on the day that Brian Kelly said he was going to announce the starting quarterback, the media was there, had full availability, and could see the whole practice. And then when the teams actually scrimmaged each other, it basically was like a competition for who was going to be the backup because Jack right. Cohn like barely took any reps. So I don't really understand the protocol, why it ended up coming out the way it did. It, I think it came out via a tweet, right? Brian Kelly just tweeted it in the Which program. I also thought it was a little bit strange. Um, but hey, it's 2021. That's how we do things these days. Um, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, everyone knew it was going to come. It was just a matter of time. And yeah, now Jack Cohn is the uh, starting quarterback for Notre Dame. I don't really have much to add on the captains. I yet. will say what I did love about the quarterback announcement. I mean, Jack Cohn's a, lo- a Long Island guy. And I don't know if you saw his dad's tweet, but it was just a picture of his son. It's like, congrats to my boy on being named starting quarterback in Notre Dame. And then his uncle, who's clearly a huge Notre Dame fan, was all over it too. So I kind of like that. Um, just seems to kind of get back into the uh, the old school Notre Dame fan roots. It's like, yeah, you're just a proud father and uncle of your son being the starting <laughs> quarterback. And we can see what he does now. But I, I did appreciate that aspect of it. I know. It's cool. I didn't realize just how deep the Notre Dame ties went in that family. Like I knew he was a fan. I knew he had the lacrosse commitment. Or yeah, he was committed to play lacrosse at Notre Dame, and then Corrigan was like, "No, you should probably play football." <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out for him so far, and he ended up where he needs to be. Um, all right, now preseason awards. We made all these up, um, and we'll revisit these at the end of the year. But we've got a few here, and uh, we'll start off uh, with the Jonas Gray Award. Um, this is going to go out to the player who will have a breakout senior season. It could have been the Javon McKinley Award and maybe a few others, but we're going with Jonas Gray because after like a pretty insignificant freshman through junior season, out of nowhere in 2011, he went off, had 12 touchdowns, and um, we're trying to predict who will have the biggest senior season this year. Luke, you can go first. So I'm going with Joe Wilkins here. Um, I will. I think some people could probably argue Braden Lindsay here, but. I don't know that it's a perfect fit in that I think people have always expected him to be a primetime performer. And, you know, two years ago, we actually had some pretty good moments. The USC game comes to mind. But in the mold of Jonas Gray, Asmar Bilal, and Javon McKinley, who were kind of all guys that pretty much everyone wrote off and then they had very productive senior seasons, I think Wilkins is the best fit. By all accounts, he had a terrific offseason. He looks great in the clips they tweeted out and seems very confident. I mean, they had him mic'd up and He just seemed like a guy who goes about his business. He's a team leader. He's not a captain, but he seems like a team leader. And I mean, the, the, the cut he made on Clarence Lewis in that one clip that they tweeted out last week, like, yeah, I could watch this probably 30 times. And I have, so I think Joe Wilkins and, you know, he's probably not going to be a starter per se, but he's going to play a whole heck of a lot. And I, I'm just expecting him to kind of fill that role out of, out of nowhere and just have a really productive year. Yeah, he's been called out a few times now, and uh, yeah, everything's been looking good, and it looks like we're going to have a pretty expansive receiver group and a lot of guys getting some tick. I'm going to go with Houston Griffith. Uh, he was pretty highly touted. I think he was one of Notre Dame's top recruits, if not the top recruit. I think he was number one, yeah. Yeah, in the 2018 class. And look, I think everyone would agree his career up to this point has been a disappointment. Um, the biggest highlight of his career so far was when he got steamrolled by that Michigan <laughs> offensive lineman for like 30 yards into the sideline during that monsoon. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't at that game. <laughs> All right. So you've sufficiently blacked that out of your memory. I'm still working on it. Uh, last year, though, he did come in when Kyle Hamilton was ejected for target against North Carolina. 
and really held his own. I think that gave us all hope for what he could do this year, which is why I think everyone was pretty surprised when he put his name in the transfer portal this past offseason. But Marcus Freeman said his first recruiting job when he got the new defensive coordinator position was to convince Griffith to return, and Freeman delivered. Um, Now it's Griffith's turn to deliver on his potential, and I really think he's going to thrive. All of the reports out of training camp regarding Griffith have been great. Uh, He seems to be playing with a confidence level that has been lacking in recent years. And judging by some of his comments, he seems ready to excel in this new defensive scheme. You know, the phrase we keep hearing over and over is how in Freeman's new scheme, guys play fast, they play free. And I don't know if anyone could benefit more than that than a safety like Griffith, who's always had the physical tools. Now he just has the confidence. I agree. And for reference, we're recording this on Thursday. Um, Pete Sampson came out with an article after really the last open practice of training camp to the media today. And he was talking about how Griffith was chatting a lot on the field. Yeah, and I think talking that's a lot a really of shit, I guess. And is, yeah, I don't know, really I don't know if that's Kyron rubbing off on him. I mean, we saw that video last week of them too at Soldier Field, but mm-hmm. I like having the safety uh, fourth year guys talking some shit. So I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Want to move on to the next one? Let's do it. Our next award here is the DCO Cafe Award. Uh, Salute to the biggest hidden gem on campus or the player who's not a starter week one, but will have a huge impact. For those of you that don't know, DCO Cafe is the premier, I guess, lunch establishment on campus. Uh, You know, it, it from 2017 to or 2016 to 2018, kind of a hidden gem. People started to learn about it, including players on this roster, and then it became less of a hidden gem, but I will die for that place. I mean, I know when uh, we lost that game to Michigan in 2019, I said the only person affiliated with the university that shouldn't have been fired was the the rap guy at DCO. So uh, so that's our next award. I'll, Woj, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you pick this off. Yeah, it's like in, uh, it's in the, area for professors right it's like not even really for students but it became just the premier on-campus eatery for anyone especially around lunchtime i mean i would go there and not go to class i would just go for lunch (laughs) and go back to off campus it had a great vibe all around it just peaceful by the end of it though then the line just became too crowded and then like the secret got out what was the order uh, you get Double the, buffalo the chicken, spice, spicy, the spicy wrap. chicken wrap, and then yeah. if you were in with the rap guy, my guy uh, Matthew, I love that guy. He would you got cut, his name? Yeah, oh yeah, he would cut up the Damn. chicken for you. I mean, other others known him as Tall Pale Rap Man, but uh, that that was him, and he would cut up the chicken for you if you're on his good side. Um, I, I know the chicken were, didn't look that good objectively either. They're like little chicken, not even nuggets, like balls. balls. Yeah, because of... <laughs> but it was delicious. Up, yeah, you, clearly you get the got boom it. boom sauce on it, you're, you're, you're golden. <laughs> All right. So it might be cheating to pick Chris Tyree because he's not necessarily a hidden gem. He was a five-star recruit. But since he's not the starter and the talk around him has been relatively quiet going into the season, that's who I'm going with. Um Plus, I think it's sem- somewhat relatable to DCO because by the time I graduated, yeah, it was no longer a hidden gem at right. all. The lines are packed, so then the hype train was back on. Considering we've spent months talking about five stars, and he's one of the very few that we actually have on the roster, it's a little bit surprising, but we understand why. Um, a lot of that has to do with Kyron Williams and how good of a player he is. But I really think that Tyree has the potential to take the offense to another level. It definitely seems like we'll be seeing more 21 personnel this season with Kyron and Tyree on the field at the same time, as well as a healthy Kevin Austin, we hope. 
Braden Lindsay, and then the best tight end in the country, Michael Mayer. I mean, assuming all goes to plan, that could be four elite playmakers on the field at one time. And I think in that situation, Tyree is going to have the biggest mismatch going up against a middle linebacker. I'm assuming he's split out or maybe he's in the backfield. I feel like he's going to have the biggest mismatch. And I'm taking him in space against a linebacker any day. He's fa- he's faster than Kyron. Um, he might not have all the tools, but he's really, really good. And I just think that he's like sort of the gadget player. Uh, maybe not gadget player because I feel like sometimes people take that the wrong way. But he's just a really damn good player. He's improved his pass-catching ability. He can run. He can take jet sweeps. There's a lot you can do, a lot of ways Tommy Reese can get creative with him, and I really think that he's going to take this offense to new heights. Well, I I think you misspoke there. Apparently the best tight end in the country is Charlie Culler from uh, Iowa State is what I keep hearing these days. So (laughs) they have a really good roster. Um, It's funny (laughs) you you say that. A lot of guys are coming back for Iowa State. (laughs) I do like the Tyree pick there. Um, Actually, our good friend Greg Flamong, Let's talk about it on his podcast, which is a great listen if you haven't listened to it. And basically he was describing as Tyree. It's just like it's almost like a, a weapon that's just too much. It's like one last thing. It's like how the hell do we defend this? And I think you're right. I think he has a really good opportunity to exploit that. So I'm excited to see that. Um, I am going to go on the other side of the ball. And similar, good transition by you. Uh, with each practice the media has access to, it seems like this may become less and less of a hidden gem, but sure seems like Riley Mills is due for a breakout year. I'll use the quote from Pete Sampson's article today. He just whipped people mostly was the quote. Like it didn't matter if he was lined up at defensive end or tackle, he just balled. And he made Pete Sampson, uh, Matt Freeman, and Jamie Uyama's standout list from practice today. Sounds like he had a hell of a day, and that's not the first time that's happened this fall uh, or this fall camp. I'm hoping for a hell of a year from him. And I think that that's where to get from the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And he's one of the lesser talked about recruits in that class. I Just like. because kind of- like, I mean, if I recall correctly, even though he's on the defensive side of the ball, fellow uh, scout, Lake Forest scout grad, Tommy Reese kind of closed that recruitment, I think, because he went there himself and I, I'm pretty sure he was involved in that. And I think another reason he kind of gets, you know, maybe, brushed over it's just because of how deep we are at defensive line but it seems like he's really distinguishing himself now and it's like how the hell do you keep this guy off the field he's just that damn good yeah seriously and really the whole interior defensive line it seems like Jacob Lacey is one example of a guy who sort of just kind of forget about him he's from Kentucky yeah and he's a really good player and has the potential to be elite but the interior D-line is just so stacked let's move on to the Arnez Battle Award could also have been called the C.J. Procise, Theo Riddick, Kavari Russell Award. Basically, the player who will have the biggest impact at a relatively new position. Um, there's a few options here, but it seems like every year for Notre Dame, there's always one player at a new place um, who has a breakout year and ends up being instrumental to that team's success. So I'll go first. I'm going to go with Myron Tagovailoa Mosa. We were just talking about the interior D-line. He shifted from defensive tackle to defensive end because of the depth that we were just talking about. And Brian Kelly went on record as saying the transition has been better than expected. I think going into this year, there's going to be a lot of questions about the outside D-line. What kind of pass rush could the team get? We know what we're getting in the middle. If Myron is able to get after the quarterback a lot, and then Foskey and Botello on the other side are able to do the same, this could be a really, really elite defensive line. We know that there's a ton of depth, but the playmakers at the top, I think if Myron has a big year, which I believe he will, um, it's going to really, really change some things for that defense. 
I agree. I like that pick a lot. Um, and also, I just love the name of this award because I don't know about you. I think you probably agree with this, that 2002 Notre Dame team is – I mean, obviously, they went to the Fiesta Bowl, what, two years before that, but we were really little at that point, so there's really only so yeah, much we can I remember. Mean, but I was, was going to say I was six years old during – That 2002 team 2002 is like – 2002 season. Arnez Battle and like, you know, Shane Walton and Vontez Duff are like really those first three guys that you really think of like, oh, yeah. wow. Like, and so I yeah, love We've talked about it before. Vontez Duff was my favorite player up until like <laughs> last year. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to tell that glove story once again, yeah, but I've no, told it good. before. But in line with the cornerback, I'm going to go with Cam Hart here. Uh, converted wide receiver, now going to be the starting corner at the boundary side and he's another guy who brian kelly has said had a transformational summer he certainly seems confident in his abilities i mean you listen to him on the inside the garage pod he just seems like i mean he it's what is i guess he's a junior technically but he seems a little bit older than his years and he needs to be good because we don't really have a ton of depth at that boundary spot or at quarterback in general uh he's long athletic and just looks like a football player and in the spring brian kelly really propped him up alongside ramon henderson he said when you line those guys up, those two look as good as anybody in the country. So it's time to prove that. Um, I, I don't know if that I'm going to go chaos. quite that far, but he <laughs> that did say that. So fucking absurd. <laughs> so I'm going with Cam Hart. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I don't know if there's more pressure on a player at a new position or especially one where he doesn't have as much experience because the depth at corner is just not great. Like the recruiting at the position hasn't been great. Um, in recent years, and look, like everyone knows Kyle Hamilton, one of the best defensive backs in the country, but he keeps being referred to as an eraser. You can't erase shit all I the time. Like you, <laughs> yeah, you can't erase everything. Yeah. Like if you're on the boundary corner, like you you can only do so much from safety if the boundary corner is getting burnt. And, you know, a big part of Freeman's defensive scre- scheme is playing man, and that puts a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks to – deliver and man coverage we'll see what cam does but i'm with you i think i mean hell he's like six three i think he's listed six two and a half actually never mind he's six two uh but yeah there's gonna be a lot of pressure on him to succeed he's gonna be in a big spot but um if you know all goes to planned that'll go well all right i'll let you uh introduce the next award <laughs> all right so our next award is the brothers bar and grill award otherwise known as the position group that might frustrate you at times but will deliver when it counts now, once that I'm actually reading this out, I'm actually kind of having issues with the name of it because I don't know the brothers. I mean, it doesn't really deliver. We may as well just name this the O'Rourke's Award because O'Rourke's has the same issue with dog shit service, but they typically do deliver. Uh, but yeah, we're just I mean, I losing guess, any potential sponsorship. Listen, like listen, we're we're, we're just <laughs> semantics, right? That's that's what we're up to right here. But I agree. Anyone who's ever been to Brothers, you if they, go. If you've been on Eddie Street, you have a good time. We may as well just call this the Eddie Street Award. Yeah, like it's hard. You're going to be hard pressed to have a bad time when you're sitting on the Brothers patio. But it's you get like the rare seventy two degrees. Yes, you do have to wait like thirty five minutes in between beers, and somehow they run out of wings twenty five minutes into wing night. <laughs> Maybe the most absurd thing ever. But I digress. Let's go back to the original award. Position group that might frustrate you at times, but will deliver when it counts. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get us started here. Uh, I'm going with John Doerr in the kicking game. Frankly, in 2019, going into that year, uh, in the first half of that year, I just didn't think he was very good. And then he pretty much won us the USC game that year. I mean, he was incredible in that game. And then last year, he was terrific in Clemson version one. 
Um, however, then he really regressed in, a, in kind of a bad way. I mean, he missed kicks against UNC and in Clemson, too. That kind of turned that game. I'm not putting that on him because, I mean, they had this guy named Trevor Lawrence. He's pretty good. I don't know if you heard about him, but it was aggravating uh, regardless. And I unfortunately, I don't know that I trust him enough to be consistent, but I do think he'll come through when it matters because he has done that for the most part in big totally. games. and. I'm hoping that as a fifth-year guy that that shines through more than not, and so I'm going with that. Um, yeah, I'm going with John Doerr in the kicking game. Yeah, it's, it was a weird regression. I mean, he coming off that Clemson game, you're thinking, holy shit, he's like he's one of the best kickers we've had in years. He had ice in his veins, and his facial expression never, ever changes, good or bad. You Like, I have no idea what's going on with him, which I guess is good for a kicker. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but... I'm going to say the offensive line. Um, Look, I expect this to be a very up-and-down year for this group. We all know how important Harry Heastand was in creating the culture that embodies what has become O-Line U. And now we'll see how that carries on because this is the first year um, where Notre Dame offensive line doesn't have a single player who has either played for um, Harry Heastand or was recruited by him You know, since he joined the staff in the early days of the Brian Kelly era. It's very inexperienced together as a unit, and I think it's going to be a lot like in 2019, where that was a group that had obviously a bunch of talented players. It was a very talented group, but they didn't have a ton of reps together, and I think you know that year was an up-and-down year for the line, and the rushing attack wasn't always as good as it's going to be, or as good as it should have been probably, but I think this year is going to be more of the same. Um so what you're saying is there's going to be a lot of calling for Jeff Quinn's head again. I I would not be surprised if people completely, you know, forget everything else that he did and like that's going to be like the cheap cop out I mean, I think people kind of forgot that like after last year how yeah. out people were on him after 2019. Oh yeah, in 2019 it was it was terrible. People were going at his head and then he couldn't recruit and then we got Blake Fisher. He's He's done a big like heel turn since then. I, I would love it, obviously, if that you know didn't regress at all and the offensive line dominated this year. But I just, I'm gonna be honest, I just don't think that's how it's gonna work. And I think, um, I think back to like there was a game last year. I think it was a Duke game, maybe, where Mike Tirico on the broadcast mentioned how Liam Eikenberg said that every offensive line needs a couple games right. to sort of like get everything in sync. And you think about how experienced that group was and how it took them a couple games, and then. They were undoubtedly one of the best offensive lines in the country. So now you take a more inexperienced group. They're going to need a couple games. And, like, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, Wisconsin, September 25th, they, they don't really have a whole lot of time to spare. And Florida State week one could be tough. So I just think it's going to be an up-and-down year from that group. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad year. Definitely probably not below average or anything like that. But when, you know, as Notre Dame fans, what we're accustomed to seeing is such a dominant offensive line. Whenever that, you know, fluctuates at all towards the middle, people overreact, and I think we might see some of that this year. I mean, we go to Samson's article again today where basically he just kept talking oh, God, about Riley bad. Mills. Well, but but like what I felt the biggest target of that, he did say Blake Fisher was excellent, so that's that's promising, right? And we know Jared Patterson is very good. Um, I like Zeke Carell. Mike Golick Mike Jr. had some tweets really praising him earlier today too, so you want to look at those. I think those should give you mm-hmm. some hope, but Basically, all of Samson's tweets today were just like, yeah, Kane Madden just got bull rushed. Like, every time, every time. And all I could think of were Friday Night Lights, the movies, guys. 
but I was thinking about Friday Night Lights, the show, the first episode where Riggins is in the circle drill and just getting like they're just yelling out numbers and 33 just getting smoked in the middle. And Coach Taylor's yelling, get up, son, get up, son. And I think that was a bit of that moment today for Kane Madden, like where he's just getting where it's like, get up, get up. And I do. Yeah. I mean, dude, the guy was a third team All-American. Like he's yeah. got to have something. But hopefully we can hope that it's just more so our defensive line is that good, which I do think they are, but I also think there's something to the fact that this line needs to and will improve. But that was uh, that was kind of the, the connection I made there. <laughs> yeah, and like we've discussed before, any fall camp observation, video, highlight, any big takeaway, it's sort of a zero-sum game because it's like, oh, wow, the offense. One-on-ones are tough for a line yeah. man. Either, either you're Either you're getting away with a blatant hold or you're just getting bull rushed. It's it's just a weird sort of dynamic, especially, you know, going against your own team. But I agree, like, reading that article, you're sort of like, okay, did, did the O-line get one win other than um, Brian Kelly post-practice saying that Blake Fisher is like Ronnie Stanley with more size? I mean, he is massive. Like, if you're a DN, yeah. you basically need to call an Uber to get from one side of him to the other. It's absurd how big he is for a freshman. Yeah, that's truly insane, but I guess we'll see. All right, uh, let's move on to MVP. You start. Yeah, so I'm going with Kyron here. I mean, what doesn't the guy do? He plays with so much shit to his game, and he's kind of just exactly what Notre Dame is needed, and I think especially needs in a year like this where there are undoubtedly, you know, some – I don't like to use the word rebuilding, but, like, they need to answer some questions, and I think that that's the leader on your team you need, and he should get some help from an older Chris Tyree this year who, like you mentioned, I think should expect to have a huge year, but – He's the best back we've had since Julius Jones. I, I, I believe that. Yeah, fully. no doubt. And I see no reason why he can't be more explosive in the passing game this year. We know we, what he can do in pass protection, even if Todd McShay doesn't. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that article. That was one of the things he said he needed to improve upon. I wholeheartedly disagree with that, but that's neither here nor there. But he's my guy. Um, I expect him to lead this team on the offensive side of the ball, and I just think he's going to be incredible. It's it's pretty impressive that he was elected a captain after literally just one full season. Well, first of all, he's a true he's a junior, technically a redshirt sophomore, but the fact that he was elected captain and I think the way that the coaching staff talks about him and his impact on the team and the roster as a whole, uh, it's it's goes so far beyond what he does on the field. And you're right, like just what he brings to the team, this edge that frankly we've probably needed in recent years. Absolutely. I th- I'm. I feel like I'm taking easy picks. You're taking a cop out here. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I'm taking Kyle Hamilton. Um, Never heard of him. Yeah. I actually went back and forth between him and Cone, and I settled on Kyle Hamilton. Settled on Kyle Hamilton. Um, look, he. what really changed it for me was as unbelievable as he was last year, he was basically playing hurt the entire season because of an ankle injury he suffered in week two against South Florida. No, no, it was week one against Duke. Was it against Duke? Yeah, because remember, I remember I left the bar after that game, and like Hamilton just died, like because he just got his ankle rolled up. It looks so bad. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, early on in the season, and he still was unbelievable the entire year dealing with that, and then he had surgery in the offseason, missed his spring practice, and he said this is the first time he's played healthy in a really long time. The fact that... Brian Kelly included Hamilton in one of the guys who had a transformational summer. Like makes you wonder what could he possibly do more? 
But we're about to find out. And, you know, like we said, the group as a whole might be one of the bigger question marks on the team. But Hamilton might be the best defensive player to play for Notre Dame during our lifetimes. And yes, even better than Jalen Smith, even better than Manti Teo, although give credit to Smith, he had to play for Brian Van Gorder. Might have been a little bit different if he was in Clark Lee's scheme. Either way, um, I feel pretty confident in saying that Hamilton could start for a few NFL teams today. So I just can't wait to watch him make plays all over the field on Saturdays this fall. Hard to argue with that. Um, I think that's a good comparison, actually, to Jalen Smith, because even though I think, I mean, I, I hope to God we have a much more competent defensive coordinator these days than we did with Van Gorder. Uh, statistically, and I don't think it's either their fault, like Jalen Smith had one career sack, right? And last year, Hamilton had one pick off that tip. Like, and a lot of that is because they just don't throw at him, like, because that's how big yeah, of a threat exactly. he is. And it'll be interesting to see in Freeman's defense when he's moving around a little bit more, can he generate some more turnovers? Can he make some more plays? But like, that's pretty much the only other thing you can ask the guy. And like, it doesn't feel crazy to say that I fully expect that to happen. Right. And you think about how much they asked Jalen to do. Yeah. Like he had to, do, he had to cover so much ground. He was in charge. I mean, there were, so there were two guys on that defense that understood it, him and Joe Schmidt. So that's like pretty much <laughs> yeah, the issue. Exactly. So um, yeah, like I, if Hamilton has an MVP year, which I think he's, you know, everyone thinks he's capable of, and he's probably going to be a top five pick. This is, you know, if everything goes to plan, this year is the last season. We'll see um, Kyle Hamilton wearing the blue and gold. But, um, all right, we got one more award, the 401K award. And this, <laughs> the is, not, this is not the Niles Morgan award who had a different interpretation <laughs> of 401K. <laughs> this goes out to the player who might not have the biggest impact this fall but whose progress you will be watching closely. All right, you go first. So if you asked me a week ago, I probably would have said the freshman running backs. However, from everything we've heard and seen, it seems like even as deep as that position room is, I think Logan Davis has forced himself into some playing time. I think he's going to get some run. He's just, he's kind of like Josh Adams in that sense, where I think he's just like had such surprisingly good freshman fall camp that like he's getting it on the field. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happens with estimate too, just because he's 35 years old. Um, but like he's been divorced twice. Yeah. So I'm not going there. Um, with that said, I'm going with defensive back Justin Walters. Uh, I don't know how much run he's going to get, but in the spring game we saw it, and in practice we've seen it so far. It seems like he's around the ball constantly making plays. I don't know if there's a spot for him like on the depth chart playing this year, but I'm interested to see his development and see if that maybe manifests itself into something later in the season. But that's that's a guy I'm going with. Yeah, and we were just talking about Kyle Hamilton probably being out after this season. You kind of need a guy like Justin Walters to be able to step up a little bit next year and fill that fill that role. I'm going to go the easy selection here is obviously Tyler Buckner, but I think everyone is going to be watching him it's so intently that like it's a little bit absurd. I'm going to go with Lorenzo Styles Jr. Um, given the lack of young guys at wide receiver, we you know talked about this at length how. Xavier Watts after Jordan Johnson transferred is basically the only sophomore on the roster. Notre Dame needs the freshman class of receivers to develop quickly, and Styles might be the guy to lead this group. Um, he enrolled in the spring, so he's already got a spring practice under his belt. He's been getting reps with the second-team unit, uh, which is positive, and he's already been making plays. In Samson's article today, everyone who watched the practice said that he had a really big day. And this is all, you know, despite being slowed a little bit by an injury – and also, I don't know if this is related, but his brother, Sonny Styles, is a five-star recruit out of Pickerington uh, in Columbus, just like Lorenzo was. 
and he's seriously considering Notre Dame as well. How much does Lorenzo's freshman year experience impact Sunday's decision? I don't know, but I have to imagine like it might help a little bit. And I just think he's a really talented player, and we might even see him a little bit on punt return this year. I, I'm not sure, but that's a guy who I'm going to be really watching throughout the year. Well, if you ask the St. Brown family, and obviously they played the same position, but I think that that impacts it a lot because uh, the reason – what Amon Ra didn't come to South Bend is because of Brandon Wimbush. So uh, <laughs> nothing we, against Brandon do Wimbush. Do we know that? Yes, we do know that. So, <laughs> so I'll never. Forget I mean, that's why like, EQ went to the draft. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'll never forget reading like EQ's profile and just or EQ's draft profile and just some NFL scouts saying like, uh, "Good route runner, so and so quarterback did him absolutely no favors getting him the ball." Yeah, sorry, Brandon, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. All right, um, that's all for our preseason awards. We'll revisit these at the end of the year, see how well we did, see uh, how different our answers change. All right, now let's uh, shift our attention to the schedule. Uh, We'll go game by game here, just give some thoughts on each opponent. We uh, won't go too in-depth on Florida State because next week we'll be releasing our full Florida State preview. Um, But just a note here, uh, season opener on the road during primetime is dangerous. Yeah, uh, so I'm going. Uh, and like what I'm kind of scared about, to be honest with you, is that like nobody else is really going. Um, like I have a couple buddies that I'm staying with down there, but like usually for these big away games, I'm used to just like everybody going and like nobody's doing that. And that's partially a factor of it being Labor Day. And also like Tallahassee is a bitch to get to, um, but I'll be it's terrible. Like, if yeah. they were, so if I they've been good in recent years. Right. And I didn't go in 2014. So that's why I'm going now. Um, but, like, we'll see. I am a little, like, I keep going back and forth on this game. Like, I think Notre Dame will win it. I honestly think they'll ultimately cover. It's nine and a half right now. But, like, people keep saying it could be like that 2019 Florida State game, or sorry, Louisville game. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. It's like a sloppy first half. It could even honestly be like the Florida State game last year where, like, we came off a of COVID pause, scored a bunch of points, but still kind of looked sloppy. And, like, Jordan Travis gave us a bunch of problems, which obviously different defense. Like, and I don't know how much tape Florida State's going to have to rely on because it's going to be different schemes, I think, both offensively and defensively. Um, but I think it'll be an interesting game, and I'm excited for it, but I think it could be a little bit dicey, and I'm sure about an hour before kickoff I'll be pretty scared. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know what to expect in this game. Florida State picked up some big grad transfers. Again, they've just been terrible in recent years. But uh, I'll think about this game a lot looking ahead next year because Notre Dame opens the 2022 season on the road against Ohio State. So let's hope that they can sort of get through that little trend where they've had real, really sluggish starts and dominate Florida State and cover, hopefully. Um, next week, home opener, Toledo, minus 19.5. You got anything there? Uh, somebody texted me this morning saying they had 22 returning starters. They do. He was like, yeah, like, I didn't know Toledo was good. I'm like, okay, dude, like, 22 returning good starters, like, that, that doesn't mean jack shit. Like, it's still a Mac school. Like, and, like, no no disrespect to Toledo, even though I just said that doesn't mean jack shit. Like, they're fine they for They were 4-2 and two last year. Yeah, but, like, yeah. dude, if we're talking about Toledo, like, I, I'm not talking about Toledo. We're going to win the game. <laughs> All right. Uh, minus 19 and a half. Does Notre Dame cover? Yeah, I think they win the game like 45 to 7. Okay, fair. I think Toledo, 22 returning starters, guys playing at Notre Dame Stadium. I think they'll put up a fight early. Yeah, but Notre no Dame. fans watching because it's on Peacock. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe Toledo will just show up and show out <laughs> at Notre Dame Stadium. It'll be Georgia 2017 2.0 or Nebraska 2001 <laughs> 3.0. A bunch of rockets. Okay, next week, uh, September 18th, Purdue. Notre Dame is 11.5 favorites. Um, look, for no other reason than the fact that it's Purdue, uh, I actually think this is going to be ugly. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Um, Purdue is not good. Like David Rondale Bell's good. Moore. Yeah, okay, David Bell's good. They lose Rondale Moore, probably one of the best high school players to come out of Louisville in quite some time. He's in the NFL. But, like, it, has Notre Dame ever just dominated Purdue? Like that game was so annoying. I hate yeah, the Purdue so game. the last time we played them was the Shamrock Series game, correct? In Indy. Damn, was it that long? I think so. I think so. That and was that game, twenty. That was my freshman year. I think that game was just like a classic Everett game, where like we went up by a bunch, and then Everett did some dumb shit, but then he like came back and like ended up we ended up blowing him out. But uh, the year before, I think it's a good example of that. Like. We only won that game pretty much because DeVaris Daniels had, like, a long pass play. Like, And then even the year before, Tommy had to come in to bail out Everett in 2012 and, like, hit Robbie yeah. Toma, and then we hit the – so, you're right. They are pretty ugly. I mean, like, dude, I had somebody tell me we were going to lose to Purdue a month ago, and I wanted to, like – it was Notre Dame grad, too, and I, I almost lost it on them. Um, I, I'm not, like, worried about it, but I, I understand your sentiment that it could be, like, yeah. an ugly game. Yeah, like, I have no concrete data point. 11 and a half is not like an easy line. It's like, oh, easily. Like I could see it being a 10 point game. So like that doesn't cover that obviously. So I don't know. It'll be a weird game. Always is. All right. Close out the month of September. uh, The big one at Soldier Field in Chicago. Um, (sighs) Technically a road game against Wisconsin. The only game as it stands that Notre Dame is an underdog plus one and a half. Yeah. So this game annoys me for a lot of reasons. Um, So it's the Cone Revenge game, right? Um, Wisco, for whatever reason, gets the benefit of the doubt that Notre Dame is not getting from last year, at least from what from what I've seen and listened to. They went four and three, and after they killed Illinois and then kicked the shit out of Michigan, Mertz threw for two touchdowns and five picks the last five games of the year. Uh, I'm sick of this narrative that Cone lost that job too. Like he didn't. He was hurt. And then I don't blame Wisconsin. They made an investment in their five-star Mertz. It was like, it's his team now. Like, so, of course, Cone left. He never lost that job. Like, I don't know why that keeps getting said. Fortuna said it on here, too, and Samson said it a couple times. Like, that's just not what happened. And the other thing that, like, kind of bothers me is, like, uh, I was listening to One Foot Down, and the, he was talking, Josh was talking about how he said Notre Dame has a more talented roster than Wisconsin. And Wisconsin fans were like all up in arms about that. But like, if you just look at recruiting, like it's not even close. Like that's true. And personally, I have a close friend. His brother-in-law was the quarterback's coach at Wisconsin in the last several years. He just took the offensive coordinator job at Colorado state. And they're a huge Wisconsin family. All of his friends went to Wisconsin, all his roommates. None of them are going to this game. Like, and it's in their backyard. They all live in Chicago. So like, how much do Wisconsin fans really care? I'm calling them out here a little bit. Like, if you're not going <laughs> to this game, you live in Chicago. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's kind of my point. Like, it's our game to lose. Like, I feel really good about this game. And I just – I would love to see Jack Cohn really explode in this game. And I, I expect him to have a very good performance. So, that's just me ranting a little bit. And I'm sure as we get closer to this game, it'll get even worse. But I, I – this game annoys me, just the, the conversation surrounding it. Yeah, I can't speak for your family friends, but I feel pretty confident in saying that there's going to be plenty of red 
in Dude, that stadium. Every like Wisconsin that. grad I know is like, oh yeah, like I saw her play Notre Dame in Chicago. Like I wish I could go. Like, well, you can. Like you live here, man. <laughs> Maybe they they don't want to go to the 11 a.m. kick. Yeah, um, that's true. Look, I'll say, COVID might not have impacted any team more than Wisconsin last year. Are they still getting a ton of leeway from the national media because of that? Yes, I don't think that uh, the COVID excuse just sort of wipes away all their problems. They finished four and three. We know Wisconsin is a really you know strong program. They develop guys. They might not recruit at the level of Notre Dame does, but despite last year, they didn't have like offensive line and running back combination. They didn't have a rushing attack that's necessarily up to the Wisconsin standards. I do expect that to change this year. I think they're going to be a really good team. They're going to have a you know strong defense and everything. Um, but in this, yeah, like in a revenge game like this, I think Jack Cohen, this game means obviously a ton to him. And in sort of this revenge game against Graham Mertz, I think a lot of people fell in love with Mertz when he just, I think he threw one incomplete pass in that uh, season opener against um, Lovey Smith. Yeah. Against Illinois last year. And look, I think he's a really talented player. He, you know, he probably has more talent than Jack Cohen, let's be honest. But I think this game uh, is going to be tight. It's going to be down to the wire. It might be a little bit of what we saw from Notre Dame last year, but this is going to be, um, you know, Notre Dame's first probably real test against a really good team. And, uh, yeah, I, I so I'm thinking about going to this game, but I think after the Clemson ACC stop, championship last stop, year, I wrote off going to games. Don't give me that, dude. That's bullshit. If I go, they will lose. If Listen, I stay, no, they will win. we lost the Clemson <laughs> game because they had Trevor Lawrence. Like, no, and I disagree. It was directly. It was although, directly although there going. might be there might be a tie to Charlotte Beer Garden there. I'm not so not so certain about that. That's true. That's a black hole of a restaurant. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, October two, Cincinnati, minus three and a half revenge game for a lot of people involved. I mean, can we just call this the narrative game? Like. Dude, oh, think dude, about there's it. so many. They're all there's so many that I forgot that Michael Young played for them. Yeah, okay. So there's I, another one. He was their leader in receptions last year. Okay, so Michael Young, who <laughs> literally quit the team before <laughs> the Michigan game in 2019. Yeah. I don't know what the hell he saw, but he clearly knew what was gonna happen before we got boat raced in Ann Arbor. Wasn't it Lindsay? Dude, he quit, took over he, his job. He quit the day before the game. Right, right, right. But it was because of Lindsay, right? Lindsay was getting more run. I don't know. All, I remember yeah, like, but yeah, he quit before the game. Forget, it like, might've yeah, been the bowling. Coming. It might've been the bowling green game or like one of those games where he took a kickoff and like fumbled it or something like that. Right. Like that was like the last time we saw him on the field. I don't know. So we got that. I honestly forgot about that part of the narrative, but we got Mike Denbrock, their offensive coordinator, who was at Notre Dame for forever. Brian Kelly guy. Uh, Marcus Freeman obviously was there last year has D tied Cincinnati. Worse, like Brian Kelly has been at Notre Dame so long that sometimes you forget that his last job was Cincinnati and he left on like very bad terms. Uh, obviously, it's been smoothed over somewhat. Like, I know he went back there for a reunion two years ago. Um, but other than that, they do have some very good players on defense. I like, I mean, they have the coolest name for defensive back in the country, Sauce Gardner. Like, that's just yeah, such a sick name. I'm not as high on Desmond Ritter. Like, he played pretty poorly in the Peach Bowl last year. Last year, I just don't think he's that great a quarterback. But, like, it's, what, minus three and a half right now. I think Notre Dame covers that game, but I think it's going to be kind of a weird game. Um, but we'll see. Like, people – that's another game where, like, 
you know, everybody's coming in for USC, which I get. But, like, Cincinnati, like, people, like, aren't really talking about going to it. I'm like, that's a game I think you kind of want to be at. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot at stake there. And it's just – it's a tough matchup the week after the Wisconsin game, even though it's at home. That is Cincinnati Super Bowl. That's, like, the biggest game in, in program history. Since they lost to Tebow by 100 in the Sugar Bowl. Good coach, Luke Fickle. Yes, they lose Marcus Freeman, but – that defense is returning eight starters, and to be honest, they had one of the – at one point, they had the best scoring defense in the country last year. Granted, they're playing AAC opponents. Still, they got MyJ Sanders on the defensive line. He's He might be the best defensive player Notre Dame faces all season. He's first-round prospect in the uh, upcoming NFL draft. He's a beast, and Ritter might not be you know the most polished passer, but he had 12 rushing TDs last year. I think this is a really, really good team. The timing of it isn't ideal, but really, if you look at this stretch where starting September 25th goes at Wisconsin, then home against Cincinnati, and then we can move on to the next week, uh, October 9th at Virginia Tech, then a bye, and then a home against USC, and then home against North Carolina. In just over a month, that's four top 15 teams. This is a really, really tough stretch in the middle of the season. If only... Notre Dame would join a conference. The schedule might be tough. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to our guy, Billy Pencil, who wrote a very in-depth article about uh, strength of schedule with a number of different probabilities that I don't understand because I wasn't a math major or a business major. But uh, check that out. It's very good. Uh, but, yeah, Vautech, listen, like, that line's five and a half right now. We we have friends, Virginia Tech. I don't yes, really love understand. Love our partners. I don't really understand that line at all. Like, I just – I don't think Virginia Tech is going to be that good. Like, I don't think the fan base is very on board with Justin Fuente right now. From what I understand, they've had a lot of other things go on. Um, and, like, people make a big deal about Lane Stadium at night because they have apparently a cool entrance. Um, they haven't won a lot of big games at home. And I honestly would not be shocked to see this line shift because they also play North Carolina and West Virginia before they play us. So, like, that could easily change the – trajectory of their season prior to that so we'll see but i'm not very worried about this game i don't like where it falls just because traveling's a bitch but like think about it like 2018 we played like in four different cities across the country to end the year like brian kelly knows how to handle this sort of thing that's the way i'm thinking about it but um i'm not too worried about that game yeah uh i think if you're looking at a line to hit right now that that would make the most sense just given virginia tech's recent history and i i don't really know you know what how much has changed it, it doesn't seem like a lot on paper they've already dealt with some injuries nothing like too critical some new guys but I think they only have uh four scholarship defensive uh or no d- four scholarship defensive tackles I don't want to get that wrong um but yeah I don't uh, I don't know maybe it's just the timing but I was a little surprised with that line it's also not a night game right that's a day game no, they, ACC they, they haven't they haven't called the time yet I think it'll be a night game. okay so it could be not, all right so it could be a night, but um, yeah, it, I think that if we're looking at, at that as a loss, that's more of like a, it's a trap game, um, not necessarily due to the fact that Virginia Tech has more talent than Notre Dame uh, because they they just don't. Uh, but all love <laughs> to our Virginia Tech partners. I think they would agree. So then after that, we got a bye week. And then home, USC, minus three and a half. I think probably the biggest Notre Dame-USC game in – since 2015 maybe what are your thoughts yeah no i agree this is the scariest game on the schedule to me um 
I, I think USC is going to be very good this year. I, I like Keaton Slovis when he isn't suffering from concussions. He's had quite a few of those, but he's very good. Drake London at wide receiver is also a dog. I mean, they have Brew McCoy suspended, which obviously hurts them because he's also very good, but we'll see what happens there. And I think that defense is very improved. And, like, I think another thing, like, people forget because the Pac-12 just, like, seemed like it wasn't even really a part of college football last year is that USC went 5-0 and until losing the Pac-12 title game. Like, but, like, they didn't start the season until, like, November, so, like, people just, like, didn't really pay attention to that. But, like, I think they're very good, and, like, it's a rivalry game. USC just, like, always scares the shit out of me. Like, 2018, that game was ugly. 2019, that game was ugly. Like, USC, it's a rivalry game. Like, yeah, we've won, and 2017 was, like, the best night ever when we beat them by a million and Darnold was quarterback. But like, Yeah, most fun game as a student by far for me. But, like, that's scary. I think that's really scary. Oh, absolutely. I, and you know USC is going to have athletes on the outside. You mentioned Drake London. They lost their number two and number three receivers after last year. But Slovis is projected like top 15 in mock drafts coming up this season and for good reason. I mean, he essentially forced JT Daniels to transfer. And JT Daniels came in as a five-star recruit and is obviously a very talented player. Hell, he might be the person who takes Georgia uh, to you know the national championship that they've been trying to get so badly this, these past few years. And they've got 16 returning starters, eight on each side of the ball. And I just think they're going to be a really talented team. It's going to be a really tough game. I would feel differently if Notre Dame weren't coming off a bye. I think that bye is going to come at an absolutely crucial time, and Notre Dame is historically very good coming off well, a bye. Except uh, for that one time. We won't discuss. I thought <laughs> we've already moved past it. We've mentioned the monsoon in Ann Arbor once already. That's like we've already passed the quota. Um but yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm bummed I'm not going to this game. I think it's it's going to be the biggest Notre Dame-USC game in a while at least, and I think uh, I can't wait for it. I'm actually going to be here. I'll probably, actually, I don't know. I was going to say I should have a game-watching party. My roommate and good friend is, like, he went to USC, and I don't know if I really want to watch that with a bunch of USC. No, fans, so no. I take no, that. I so we'll just move on to uh, October 30th, North Carolina. Notre Dame minus two and a half. I know you have a lot of thoughts here. Dude, I mean, like, they're another team. I don't really understand why they've been ranked so high as they have in the preseason. Like, I get Sam Howell is very good. Don't get me wrong. He's a stud. He might actually be the best player Notre Dame faces all season. He could be. But he lost all his skill talent from last year. Um, They lost a couple guys on defense as well, like Chaz Surratt. We shut them out in the second half last year without Hamilton playing. Like, I I just – I don't get, like, the North Carolina hype, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. Um, their line was horrible last year. It was like 134th like in the country or something crazy, 24th in the country, something crazy like that. I, I like. I think we win the game. Like like you said, it comes in like a brutal stretch of scheduling, but like I'm not too worried about it. Like I, I don't know. It's just, this, this is another one that annoys me, and I'm sure as we get closer to it, I'll get more annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I understand the conversation around North Carolina. They, despite losing a lot of the guys that you just mentioned, Two starting running backs, both very talented. Two starting wide receivers. They have recruited very well um, since Mac Brown came onto the staff, and we got a glimpse of what they look like uh, in that bowl game against Texas A&M. And you know, Texas A&M went on to win, but they were playing. A lot of those guys had opted out, and I just think that whenever you're playing a quarterback who is as good as Sam Howell, um, you're going to be a little bit nervous. Their line was dreadful last season, but they're pretty much all returning uh, except for one. I'm pretty sure. And 
So you just you have to assume that they're going to be better, like they're going to develop. And if that's the case, then uh, in, in Sam Howell is more time in the pocket to throw the ball. He actually might be more effective than when he when he had you know these talented skill receivers and running backs to get the ball to just with no time. It's sort of an interesting dynamic there. I do think that people are too quick to make this big assumption that they're going to make this giant leap. But I also, on the other hand, I I get it, and I think it all just goes back to the quarterback. And, and we've seen before how a really good quarterback can sort of make or break or game. But um, the timing of this sucks. I think that is honestly the, as big of a factor as anything. Like we're saying, that, that stretch where it goes Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, USC, then North Carolina. That's four really tough opponents. To sweep that would be pretty damn impressive, I would say. Well, it's going to happen, so. <laughs> All right. All right, now we get to November. Schedule lightens up a little bit, which is actually sort of, I guess, different than how it's typically been uh, in recent years. November 6th, Navy, minus 24.5, the biggest spread for Notre Dame all season. Uh, our thoughts in this game are pretty similar. We understand the tradition. We respect the Naval Academy. But I fucking hate this game. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Like, And it sucks even more when they suck, and they were abysmal last year. Um, They're going to be abysmal this year. Army is the premier service academy. Yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love to play out at West Point or like play no. out in Colorado Springs. I'm done with like, all I'm kind of sick of this Navy shit. <laughs> I get it. The respect. We're gonna Craig, kick your ass. We're done. We're gonna lose two of our defensive linemen because of the cut blocks in a 42 to 14 game. I hate that game. All right, we've said that before. Moving on. Sneaky tough game potentially at Virginia, November 13th. Yeah, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall, I think it's done a pretty good job there. Um, they did, like, I don't really, like, know what to make of them. Like, I've seen some people say they could be a sleeper in the Coastal. I could also see them winning, like, four games. Like, they're kind of just, like, I don't really know what the hell to expect from them. Um, but it, it, I honestly, it comes to kind of a weird time where, like, you get through that stretch, then you play a bad Navy team. Like, maybe they catch us a little off guard in Charlottesville. Scott Stadium's rocking. I don't know. Um I'll be at that one as well. Um, but I, I, I'm I, not too worried about it, but it could be an interesting game. Yeah, Bronco Mendenhall is a really good coach. I don't expect this to be as competitive as it was in, say, 2019, where Virginia really gave us a run until the uh, late half. in the second half when the defensive line just turned it on and just, I think, got like five sacks, four fumbles. Julian Akora went absolute berserk in that game. Um, but I think it could be sneaky tough. That's that's my concrete analysis there. I'm fine with that. Uh, moving on to November 20th, Georgia Tech. Look, I just want to say, man, Georgia Tech has an absurdly difficult schedule. They have four games against preseason top tens, including Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia, all on the road, and <laughs> UNC at a neutral site. Granted, it's in Atlanta, but still. And then they play at Miami. By November 20th, they're probably going to be like, just get this season over with, man. I'm done. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think Jeff Collins is actually doing a decent job rebuilding that program. But, like, I don't ex- – I don't ex- yeah, like, this is 14 and a half. Like, I think that that's probably about right. I think Notre Dame wins this game probably about, like, 20. Um, but I think they'll be better this year. And last year we didn't get the cover, even though we tried like hell at the goal line to get the cover, which I think was, like, 23 or something like that. That's on Halloween in Atlanta. Um, we so should have asked Tommy about that. We it just have. reminded me. We definitely should have asked. Because like, <laughs> I'm sure. Did I'm you sure or did you not know the spread? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Missed opportunity by us. Um, all right. End of the regular season. 
at Stanford. I actually think I'm going to be at that game. Oh, uh, really? It's only nice. about, yeah, it's only about five hours away. It's Thanksgiving weekend. My family's coming here. so Yeah, that's like the only one I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I wish they were playing USC yeah. on, like on the road this year. That'd be way more fun. But uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it has not been good for Stanford recently. No. And I mean, we lost like five straight there until 2019. But like, I think they're kind of a dumpster fire. Like, I think they're like a four-win team this year. Like, I think they're really, really bad. Um, and I don't, I've never liked David Shaw, even when they were good. I just think he's kind of a whiny guy. I've talked about that at length on this, but this could be the end of the road for him. And I hope that we put the nail in the coffin. It could happen, man. It's, uh, they, they had a lot of guys transfer recently. Um, I, I don't know. David Shaw's done somewhat of a heel turn and, and he, he's become sort of stubborn in a way. It's not like carrying on the Harbaugh legacy that they had built where they, it was like a really solid program. They've been losing every recruiting battle, it seems like, since, damn, I, I can't, like, they just aren't even really a factor as much anymore. But, yeah, I think Notre Dame should, should roll in that. And now that leads us to our official record prediction. It seems like uh, your prediction is pretty clear, so just let it rip. I mean, I'm saying 12-0. And, like, people will probably be like, you're a homer or whatever, whatever. But, like, listen, I don't know that – actually, I don't think this team is as good as it's been the last two years and maybe even back to 2018. But, like, just looking at the guy, the teams I have on the schedule, I think they're more talented than all of them. And I think this is the year that Brian Kelly finally proves, like, yeah, this is what we do. We beat teams we should beat, like, and that's what we're going to do. And it might not bode well in the playoff like against an Ohio State, who I think is going to be incredible this year. Um but, Oklahoma too. Eh, don't let's talk about Oklahoma later. I'm sick of the Oklahoma shit. Um, but I think they win every game on the schedule. Like, and now if they lose one or two, fine, that happens. But I'm saying twelve and zero. All right, I'm going to say eleven and one. It was a loss. And my official lot, my official loss prediction. I think Notre Dame loses to Cincinnati. What? Yeah. That's the one. Wait, why? Yeah, I really, I think we don't match up well. I think Cincinnati's defense is nasty. You don't think they match up well against a bunch of three stars? One of the best defenses in football last year. They should have beaten Georgia in the bowl game. Where'd the coordinator go? I know. Notre Dame is a better team than Cincinnati. I also, a big thing, a huge thing, is I think that the buildup to the Wisconsin game is going to be huge, and I think it's going to be a huge win for Notre Dame. And then having to do that game. Also, Cincinnati's yeah, going to be coming off that's, a bye. That's what's good, though, is because, like, to your point, they are a talented team. But, like, that requires you to actually focus. Like, it's not like a – Yeah. Like, even a Virginia Tech, I think, where, like, that, like, they're not as talented, but, like, they're talented enough where, like, they could put a scare in you if you're not focused, right? Um, I don't know. I This is going to sound weird. Like, if we were to lose a game, and I hate saying this because I hate them, I would be most okay with it being the USC just because of how talented I know they are. Like, I would – I hate losing to USC. I hate it. But that's the one I could accept where I'm like, it's USC. Cincinnati, get get out of here. UNC, yeah, I get, get that. Out of here. Yeah, losing to Cincinnati would be terrible, but I really just think that they've got a bad taste in their mouth coming off the Peach Bowl, blowing it, knowing that they had a good program. They had them down twenty one ten in the fourth quarter on a big stage, and they blew it. I think that's sort of going to motivate them. I think the timing is rough. Um, Notre Dame is a better team than Cincinnati. I'm not saying that Cincinnati is more talented. I just think it's sort of like a perfect storm for like Cincinnati to play the game of their lives, it could go down to the very Listen, end. I'm not trying to disparage Cincinnati here, but I just think we're so much more talented than them. I think, and I think that MyJ Sanders is the best defensive player Notre Dame is going to see all season. 
where I think we struggle is on the line. I think their D-line is awesome. They could exploit it, get after Cone, and then make it hard for the offense to move the ball that much. And while I don't think that Desmond Ritter is, you know, this all-American type player, he's Dude, definitely he's, a really solid playmaker. He was terrible he in the and like Georgia, them Georgia didn't start the anybody. Quarter. They all sat out. The, again, the timing. At, on October 3rd, on October 3rd at 3 a.m. when I'm at CJ's and I'm taking a shot with Jay at the bar, I'll be sure to FaceTime you right then after <laughs> we won by 21. That's fine. I hope I'm wrong. But I another thing, too, is like this Notre Dame team, like I've said, plenty of talented players. I think if you were to compare it to some teams ever since 2018 – I don't know how where you would rank them, at least as it stands. Obviously, we, we need to see a little bit more before we can make any sort of like distinction there. But this team, we've talked about it before with Notre Dame, where just given the restrictions and how they recruit and everything, that like depth is going to be an issue. And I think that when I do get really annoyed when hearing national media pundits or whoever saying that Notre Dame's going to go 9-3, the only way that happens, in my Somebody opinion— gets hurt. Somewhat, yeah, it has to be a key injury like Jarrett Patterson, Cone, Hamilton, Mayer, one of the receivers. But the problem is that, like, given the depth at certain positions, not necessarily like defensive line, not uh, linebacker, I think those positions are fine. Running back, fine. The depth concerns me. And I think that by this point in the season, we'll be middle of the year. We'll probably be dealing with some injuries to some degree. I got to pick one. Because I think that, you know, it's college football losses, upsets happen, and that's the one. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're, ex- wrong. you're exactly right. When 3 a.m., it'll be like midnight here. <laughs> I hope I get a FaceTime, and you I hope will. I'm wrong. But if I if I had to give a prediction today, as it stands, roster, no injuries, no suspensions, knock on wood, 11-1, lost to Cincinnati at home. Well, all right. Suck. Um, I absolutely, suck. I absolutely hate that, but I guess we're ending on a sour <laughs> note there. <laughs> All right. You got anything more to add? No. Uh, looking forward to talking more about Florida State next week or the week after. Uh, but, yeah. That's no, it'll be next it. week? Yeah, next week. Yeah. Like Luke said, we'll be back next week to do a uh, full-blown back-to-game preview, man. That's exciting. Yeah, we'll end on stuff. the high note of that. It'll be, we'll be <laughs> ending on a game preview. I'm um, talking about a real live actual football game with fans and stands. So, uh, until then, talk to you soon.